How's everybody doing this morning? Are we feeling in the Christmas season? Yeah, I wore a red dress. So if you're not feeling in the Christmas season, this is supposed to help. So, um, so I get to continue the series. What a beautiful name. Uh, Pastor John spoke uh, the first week, a couple weeks ago on wonderful counselor. And then Louis shared last week on mighty God. And this is the scripture that we're referring to. So if you are new with us today, you can pick up with us right in the middle of the scripture. So we're talking about the names of God, of Jesus. And um, I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to just dive right in. So uh, for us, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Isaiah nine, six. So our mission here at the neighborhood church is to help people find and follow Jesus. It's to make Jesus known, which is really important to know because it distinguishes what we do here from everything else that we could be doing here. We exist to make him known to our community, to our world, to our people. The reason we can say that that's our mission without being belittling to God the Father, God the Spirit, the reason we can do that is because the Father has given us Jesus to make himself fully known to the world. Jesus is the manifestation of the Father to us, to the world. Jesus is the way. The Father gives us the Son, and this is how we learn who God is. We focus on Jesus. That's why in Colossians 1.19, we read, For in him, being Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, this title, Father, is hard. It's really hard for some of us. None of us have perfect fathers, and none of us will ever be perfect fathers. Some of us won't even ever get to be a father. This word father, we commonly associate with our earthly fathers. So it's really hard for many people. And so there can be pain here in this title, pain in the title father. And the reason I tell you this is because you aren't alone. For many, especially around the Christmas season, the word father can really sting. Some of you are missing your fathers right now, deeply missing them. And some of you, if you're being honest, you hate your father, like real hatred there. For others of you, the title father, the man really has no emotional connection at all. You just really don't care about it. Some of you here were abused by your father or abandoned by someone who wore that title. For some, the word reminds you of your own feelings or disappointments as a father in this area. So you might have some insecurities. And I think I have to mention it. We have to bring it up. Because if we're going to look at Jesus as the everlasting father, if I'm going to get up onto this platform today and tell you at Christmas time and say that Jesus is your everlasting father, you might start to recoil a little bit without meaning to. Some of you just recoil on this because we have so much complexity tied up in this title, some good and some bad. 
We don't really want to think of Jesus as our father. We like him the way he is, the nice one. He's our personal savior, which is true. That's how we often think of him. But Jesus here is called your everlasting father. So what my hope and my prayer is today, that the Holy Spirit's going to do some work in us, in me, where we just begin to love what that is. We begin to compare all of our experiences, all the things that we've been through in our life. We hold them up, good and bad, about our fathers, and we compare them to Jesus, not the other way around. We don't hold Jesus captive by our poor earthly fathers. We elevate him and hold him up in comparison to him. And that allows us to let it go and to be free, to give grace. And that's my prayer. But this title isn't just father. It's everlasting father. Now this word speaks of his eternity all ages past, present, and future. What we're being told here is Jesus never began. He has always been. He's divine. He's our everlasting divine father. He is God and he is man come to save us. I love the way that Dale Johnson put it. He put that it literally means father of eternity or father of all futures. I just, I love that. Jesus is the possessor of eternity. So feel the mystery in that at Christmas time, especially right now. The one who lived before time now enters time. The one who caused children to be born is now born a child. The one who begets is begotten. He is the source and the goal of our life. Jesus, father of eternity. For to us a son is born to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Everlasting Father. So the question for us then today is, what does Jesus show us about Everlasting Father? Well, way, way, way more than we can discuss in the next few minutes. But I want to point out some biblical characteristics of the Everlasting Father that we can see through the personal work of Jesus. I'm going to do that through a story or a parable that Jesus told in Luke 15. It's a famous parable of the prodigal son. Now, a parable, this story, is a story that Jesus would use, a simple story that the people would understand to illustrate his lesson. But before, I just want to let you know I'm walking through this parable different. It's almost like a launching pad to give you some truths of who the everlasting father is. Things that we can see and that we can grab out of it. So it's in Luke chapter 15. The parable begins in verse 11. But before I start in verse 11, I just want to point out who he's talking to because it does matter. Okay, so in the very first line of chapter 15, it tells us who Jesus is talking to. So it says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, meaning Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man uh, receives sinners and eats with them. 
So Jesus is talking to two distinct groups here that are in front of him before he's about to actually tell three stories, three, three parables. The same two groups that Jesus seemed to always be with. Uh, we've got the overt sinners, just radical, sinful people who, look, who were looked down on by the establishment, especially like the religious establishment. Then we have the religious hypocrites. Jesus seemed to always like to be with these people because he loved to explain grace to the broken. And he loved to explain the law to the proud. So this is who Jesus is speaking to when we get to verse 11 in this parable. So verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of your property that is coming to me. Okay. So to get a hold of this, of what's just happened, what Jesus is saying, we have to understand that in ancient Israel, there was an honor and a shame culture, which both groups of these people would have understood. Both the broken and the proud in front of him that day would have heard Jesus saying the same thing. What they would have heard was the younger son came to his father one day and said, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. Now, in those days, there was, if there was two sons, the younger son got a third of the state because the older son would get double. So he'd get two thirds of the estate. So the son comes up to his dad and says, I wish you were dead. I want my stuff. Let me go. But it's complicated what the son's asking for because it wasn't as simple as just writing a check. He wants a third of the estate. That means the father is going to have to sell some land. He's going to have to liquidate some things to grant this request. And in that culture, in this honor and shame world, I mean, losing your land was publicly humiliating, which a request like this from your own son was a form of rejection. I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. I don't care what it costs you. I don't care if it humiliates you. And before we look at the father in this story, we have to understand that this is exactly what each and every one of us have done. God takes the name everlasting father because he is the father of all creation. All of us, every one of you, every man, every woman, every child from the beginning have been children to our father. We were made in his image. He's given himself to us and every single one of us have said or acted like, I want to rule my own life. I am in control. I want to be God of my, my life. It's my way. I'm going to sit on my throne of life that rightfully belongs to you. And so by the virtue of the fact that we've all done that in some way, we have all looked at our heavenly father and said, I wish you were dead. Thanks for your image. Thanks for your creation. Thanks for my life. Let me go. Give me my stuff. This is what we've done. This is our rebellion, right? We want the kingdom without the king, which leads to my very first characteristic that I want to point out about the everlasting father. He is a father with rebellious children. And some of you need to hear this. Some of you will be comforted and encouraged by this just to know that Jesus doesn't take this title father as an honorary position. Jesus knows the pain, and some of you here know this, of a child turning to you and saying, I hate you. 
I wish you were dead. Let me go. In fact, every single one of his children have done this to him. Now, in the first century, there was no doubt what they were all thinking and what they thought was going to happen next, right? This kid's going to get it. No doubt there's going to be rage and anger and disownment. And that's why the second half shocks me so much. And he divided his property between them. No anger, no rage, no disownment. The father simply gives the son what he demanded. He would sell his possessions, parcel off his land. He would be shamed in society and looked down on. That would mean public humiliation for him, and he did it anyways. The everlasting father has rebellious children. And number two, the everlasting father lays down his life for his children. I mean, it's exactly what we see in Jesus, right? Humanity rebels. We wish you were dead. We wish you didn't exist. We're going to go our own way, do our own thing. Thank you for the stuff, the gifts. We drag his image, the creator, our God, the fa- our father, through the mud over and over and over again. We reject him, abuse, him, abuse our good gifts that he's given us. We deserve this wrath and rage and disownment forever. But he didn't respond like that to us. No, instead, the everlasting father laid his glory down. He emptied himself and became one of us. And not just for 33 years, for eternity. Fully God and fully man. And both those natures are held together without either one diluting the other. This is his eternal position. The God of glory willingly willingly accepts humiliation for us. So the story continues. It'll be on the screen, but I'm not reading it word for word. The story continues. The younger man takes the bag of cash and he's off. And he spends it. He's a high roller. He has fun doing whatever he wants. He's like the man to know. And as fast as it happens, it's over. Right as the money runs out, a famine hits the land. The good life vanishes in front of him. I'm sure the son is surprised. I'm sure the father is not. See, our everlasting father, the humiliation that he accepts for us isn't a gamble. It's not a risk. Our father knows something. He knows something that every single rebel heart misses. Every single one of us that want to go our way, who want the kingdom without the king, have complete control. He knows something that we don't. He knows that our most impassioned rebellion is just misplaced desire. That what we really want is him. What we're really chasing after is him. But our hearts have us fooled, right? This world has us fooled. So instead of reacting to us in our rebellion or trying to manipulate us or trying to control us or trying to keep us home even when we don't want to stay home, the everlasting father just lets us go. And why? Because when the bottom falls out, he wants us to remember that he never forsook us. He never stopped loving us. He never forgot about us. Paul says in Romans that it's kindness that leads us to repentance. 
So the younger son is in survival mode at this point. He found some work on a farm and he's eating the slop of the pigs. In this place, he's struck with this thought and we read in verse 12, or sorry, 17. But when he came to himself, he said, now, or sorry, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the bottom falls out for this son. He begins dreaming and thinking of his father, his house, his things, his generosity, his protection. And all of a sudden, he's struck with this love and kindness and mercy and grace that is really like no other than his father. So he wonders, what if? What if I head home? What would happen? He starts to get clever with it. Okay, I I can't go home as his son, but maybe I could go home as his servant. When he comes home, he's going to be under his father's rule again. It's his father's home. He's surrendering to his father, which to him looks good at this point. I can't be his son. I've lost that right. I've lost that inheritance. But just maybe I could work for him. Yeah, maybe he could just give me a wage and I could live and serve him and earn my way. So off he goes into verse 20. And before we look at that, I want to give you an invitation here. One question with two words. What if? What if the everlasting father really did lay his life down for you? What if? What if the humiliation, what if his humiliation is your salvation? What if the brokenness that you're currently experiencing or maybe experience over and over and over again in this life is really not meant to crush you, but it's meant to call you? What if he knew the bottom would fall out just like it has in your life? And he lets you go because he just wants you to think back and remember that he never forsook you and you went out when you went out to play king for a day of complete control over your life. Would it be worth a few steps in a new direction to find out? And I'm speaking to those who have been Christians for decades and those who don't know Jesus at all. All of you. Would it be worth a few steps in a new direction to find out. The younger son thought so. So in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father, who had already given him everything, now shames himself again by running to his son. Like, have some self-respect, right? Somebody teach that kid a lesson. Do you have any respect for yourself? He's walking all over you and you're going to run to him. He sees his son at the first sight of his boy and he runs. The son took one step. The father had seen one step towards home and he ran to meet his son, to embrace him, to kiss him. 
I don't want you to miss the motivation here. This was not born out of loneliness or neediness or manipulation or anything like that. In verse 20, it says it was born out of compassion, which brings me to point number three. The everlasting father feels compassion for his children. What does God feel towards us when we reject him? when we mock him and put ourselves on the throne? What does he feel? What does he think about us, feel towards us? It's compassion. He, he knows we're lost. And what, and what does he feel towards us when we see our rebellion for what it is? And we start to turn and head home. We surrender. I'm going to go back to my father my everlasting father, I need my father, what does he feel? Compassion. Why does that matter? Well, this is probably the most important line in my entire message. It matters because it means we've got nothing to fear in turning or returning to Jesus. Nothing to fear. For those who see the rebellion for what it is when the bottom falls out, there's nothing to fear in going back. He's not going to punish you. That's why Jesus came. But see, the compassion of our father isn't even the best part. Look what happens next. The son is shocked, right? He's shocked. He had this whole speech pre-rehearsed exactly what he was going to say when he gets there. And he doesn't even get the words out of his mouth before the father interrupts with some of his own words in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The everlasting father forgives. He forgives his children. And just so we're clear, the forgiveness of Jesus, the everlasting father, is so much more extreme than we're seeing in this story. I mean, in the story, sure, the son squanders his inheritance and he comes back. But we were made in the image of God. We drag that through the mud over and over. And the father didn't just see us a long way off and come running. It's more extreme than that. The everlasting father humiliated himself by running to us long before we ever dreamed of turning back to him. He ran to us. He humiliated himself before we even had a thought cross our minds. While we were weak, while we're still sinners. At the right time, he came for us. That's why Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He emptied himself, humiliated himself. And why? As a display of his love for us. For us, a son is born. For us, a son is given. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. And why did Jesus live, die, and rise? Because your father wanted you to have a way home. Your father has a way for you to come home. Which brings me 
to my last point. Why does he do this, right? Why, why? Like your father has made a way for you to come home. So you're allowed to stop running. You're allowed to stop exhausting yourself. You're allowed to find rest. Because my last point, the everlasting father loves you. You and I are more loved than we can possibly ever comprehend. We've got love in Jesus that couldn't be exhausted in a million lifetimes. And I pray for us here today that we know that love just a little bit more, just a little bit deeper. Because if we did, we'd stop running. We'd stop trying to control everything. We would stop trying to be king for the day. We would stop chasing fulfillments from the world. And we would put our faith in Jesus like we do in ourselves. If we did that, we would find rest. This is our everlasting father. He loves you. You can't do anything to earn it. And you can't do anything to have it taken away. That doesn't like our earthly fathers, right? You need to just surrender to him, to the king of kings, to our savior, to the Messiah, the one that we're waiting for, which is why we wait in anticipation and excitement for Christmas day this weekend. He is our gift. For to us, a child is born, to us, a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that we can be here. I thank you that you are our everlasting Father. I thank you for your compassion and your grace and your forgiveness and your love, Father. I thank you that you don't abandon us. I thank you that you give us so many opportunities to be like this son and return home. I thank you for making a way home for each of us, Father. I know you are working right now, and I invite those who want to return to you, those who want to surrender to you, Father, to do that work in them right now, Father. Do what only your spirit, your heart, what, sorry, what your spirit can do in their hearts and in their lives, Father. Do your work, God. No sermon can change a heart. Only you alone can save them, Father. You alone have the power to redeem them and to give them rest. So have your way in each of them today, Father. And I just pray that you make our response pleasing to you. We lift your name up today, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.